Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Have you ever noticed how some days just kind to just kind of seem to stick in your memory in a very clear way? Something about it just kind of sets it real fixed in your mind. Uh, I remember one day when I was in high school, my family had and I had been gone for a while, and when we got home, we kind of all split off and went our own ways. I went upstairs to my room. And it wasn't long, I was up there, and I heard my dad calling for me. So I came downstairs, and my mom and my dad and my brother are there, and my dad looks at me and he says, Kevin, did you, did you loan the VCR to someone? Now that was a weird question. <laughs> that was a weird question. This was way back when. This was when VCRs first came out. And in case you don't know, that's a video cassette recorder. Um, they're kind of outdated now, but back then when they first came out, they were these big box units. I mean, they were big and bulky. And so dad asked me if I loaned that to somebody, and it was a weird question. I said, no, I didn't loan that to anybody. Well, turns out that we'd been robbed. While we were gone, someone had broke into our house, and they, they stole the VCR, a, a jar full of coins, a pocket watch of my great-grandfather's, and one of my dad's ham radios. So the, the police came out. They looked around. Uh, it was wintertime, so there was footprints in the snow where they had come in and out of the house, and so they took pictures of those footprints, and they, they made a report. But this was, this was back when nobody had security cameras and stuff on their house like, like we do nowadays, you know. Um, so the chance of finding out who robbed us was, was pretty slim. Except sometimes the guy, the bad guy isn't very smart, and the good guys are. A, a few days later, my dad had one of his ham radios on, and he heard someone talking on it like it was a CB radio. And a ham radio and a CB radio are similar but yet different, and there are different ways to talk on them. CB operators use nicknames. Uh, ham radio operators use call signs or call signals. And so Dad assumed that whoever was talking on this radio like this must be the one who stole his radio. So Dad made something that could detect how strong that signal was from where he was at. And it, it, it didn't work exactly like he wanted it to, but it did let him know that the signal was coming from somewhere relatively, somewhat close. Well, sometime later, a boy that lived in a house through the woods and behind us uh, was stopped by the police for speeding. And when he got out of the car, the police officer recognized the shoes that he was wearing. They were the same brand of shoes that left prints in the snow at our house. And since the shoes matched... And since he lived close enough for that strong radio signal, the officer began to question him, and he did admit that he had done it. And I think that story is so vivid in my memory 
because I think it's really cool what my dad did. <laughs> I mean, being able to do that, figure that out. But I also think, e even more than that, I think that memory is so vivid because I remember the feeling of being violated. I remember that feeling, that raw feeling of being disrespected, mistreated, taken advantage of. Keep that in mind as I read our scripture today. We've been looking at the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12 says this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vine in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. If you remember, Malachi is speaking to the people of God who at this time in life had kind of given up on God. They were living in these unfaithful marriage relationships. They had broken faith with their spouses. They had left their wives to marry women that worshipped pagan gods. They also had a very dismissive view of sin. It, it, sin's not really a big deal, and God's not going to judge us on this. And the words that God gave Malachi spoke against that unfaithfulness, and it spoke against that attitude about sin. And now these words that we've read today they speak about something else that was very troubling to God. God said, you have robbed me. I wonder if God had those feelings of being violated. I wonder if he felt disrespected, mistreated, taken advantage of. Before they could even react... God answers the question that he knows they're going to ask. How have you robbed me? You've robbed me with your tithes and with your offerings. You see, God was calling out how they handled their blessings. God was calling them out because they were holding out on God. And there's a, there's a very strong key word found in verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You see, they were giving, but they weren't giving the whole tithe. They were holding out on God. They were robbing God because they weren't giving the whole tithe. They were holding out, holding back on God. Now let's talk about this, the tithe. The tithe was an Old Testament requirement 
God's people were commanded to give 10% of the crops they grew and the livestock they raised to the temple. 10% is pretty significant. That means if you have 100 sheep, give 10. If you have 1,000 bushels of wheat, give 100. If we carry that into modern day economics, $100 give 10. $1,000 give 100. $10,000 give 1,000. 10% was God's expectation in the days of the Old Testament. But I know what your question is. It's the same question that I've asked before. If that was the expectation in the Old Testament, we live in the New Testament days. What's the expectation now? What does God expect me to give? We don't live in the Old Testament days. We don't live under the Old Testament covenant. Through Jesus, we live under a new covenant. So what does God expect for us? What is the expectation for giving? Does God expect us to tithe? Does God expect us to give 10%? I'd like to suggest that maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. When we ask what is expected, what is required, it feels like we're looking for a bare minimum. What do I need to do to be okay and right? That's what I want to know. Where's that line? It feels like our giving isn't coming from a desire to give. It feels like we want to give just because we have to, not because we want to. So can I, can I suggest a better question? Don't ask, how much does God expect me to give? Ask the question, do I believe God's promise is true? Do I believe God's promise is real? Because when God called them out for holding out, he also gave them a promise. Look again at Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be enough room to store it. God says, give. God says, give and don't hold back. God says, give, don't hold back, and then watch me open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there's not enough room to store them. Do you believe that God still honors that? Do you believe that God still honors that? I, I definitely do. I believe it because I believe that God is the same today as he was yesterday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe it because there's nothing in the New Testament that withdraws, cancels, or changes that promise. And I believe it because my own life is a testimony to that promise. And I believe it because I know many, many faithful Christians who have experienced the same thing. And I know that's hard and sometimes it's hard to think about. And if you're not used to giving in a significant way, I know that can be a scary thing to let go of and give more than you've ever given before. We want to hold on because when we hold on to it, we think we have control and we can make things work because we have it in our hands. 
What we fail to recognize is that sometimes holding on is keeping us from the real blessing. I don't know if this is a true story, but I once heard about a real interesting way to catch a wild chimpanzee. I've heard that you could take a coconut and you could hollow it out and you could chain it to a tree and then place a banana in that coconut, in the hollowed out coconut. And a chimpanzee will come along and reach in, find that banana, and grab a hold of that banana, but then it can't pull its hand out of the coconut because it's holding onto the banana. And from what I read, they won't let go. And so you could walk up to the chimp with his hand in this coconut and just throw a net over it because it will not let go of what it's holding on to. God says, let go. And I will take care of you. Let go. You'll be safe. I'm going to take care of you. Do you believe that? If the answer is yes, then give like you believe that. Give like you believe that when you give, God will bless you even more than you can imagine. Dr. John Willis was a professor of Old Testament studies, and he said this in regards to tithing. He said, By giving their tithes, the Israelites were proclaiming that they were giving back to the Lord a portion of that which he had prospered them. Just as God had given his people the food and resources they needed for their existence, by tithing, the people were imitating him by giving their God-given food and resources to the slaves, to the poor, to the sojourners, the orphans, and the widows. Thus, tithing was the means God gave the Israelites to express their love to God for all he had given them, and to express the love to their neighbors as God had expressed his love to them. You see, with their tithes, God's people expressed gratitude to God. And with their tithes, God's people were able to serve, to minister to those in need. And therefore, what the tithe actually represents is the very same thing that Jesus declared as the greatest Two commands, to love God and to love others. The tithe was a specific way to show love towards God and to share love with others. When we give today, we give with those same two purposes in mind. We give because we love God We give because we want to express our appreciation to God, and we give because we want to serve and minister to people. So we give to the church, and then the church uses that money to fund ministry. And yes, I know that there are are bills and there's business expenses to pay, but the focus of our income as a church is always aimed towards ministry. The more, ministry, the more money the church is given, the more ministry is possible. When money is held back, our ministry is held back. And I could promise you this, that when we as a church spend money, we put a lot of careful consideration into it. When we spend money, we're always asking the question, is this what God would want? When we spend money, we're always asking, is this enhancing our ministry? Is this a good thing for the work of the Lord? And I'm not going to say that we've always got that right. 
I'm not going to say that we've always nailed that 100% right every time. Most of the time, most of the time we use it with good wisdom and discernment, but I'm fairly certain that there have been times when we've spent it in ways that were less than the best because we're human. But we are always in careful consideration aiming towards ministry. I do promise that we take our financial responsibility very seriously because what we all need to recognize, all of us, really what it comes down to is all of us are meant to be responsible with what God has blessed us with. God has blessed us and we are meant to be responsible with that. And that applies to us as a church and that applies to all of us individually. Dave Stone was former minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he said, it, he said it like this once. He said, the question shouldn't be, how much of my money should I give to God? That's not the question. The question shouldn't be, how much of my money should I give to God, but rather, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Doesn't that put a different perspective on it? That's a good question. A good perspective. Let me go even a step further. Let's say that you give 10% to the Lord. You give 10% to the Lord through the church. Well, don't think, even for a second, don't think that since 10% is given, the 90% is now yours. Don't think that God accepts what you give, but then has no concern how you spend the rest. You see, God still cares, not just about what he's given, but how you manage and use what, what you're keeping. You, you, can't, I, you can't say something like, I gave, I gave 10% to the Lord, but I spent the rest of it on some very sinful, selfish habits. I, I gave 10% to the Lord, but I spent the rest of it in very greedy ways. You see, that doesn't work either. And by the way, God will call us to account not just for what we've given. God will also call us to account for how we used what we were given. The 10% tithe wasn't commanded in the New Testament. You can't look that up in the New Testament and say, there's the requirement, 10%. Nowhere within the New Testament is there any specified amount of financial giving required. But if you take a close look at the New Testament, whenever Jesus spoke about an Old Testament requirement, Jesus always called for something even greater in the New Testament. The Old Testament rule was do not murder. In the New Testament, Jesus said don't even hate. Don't even hate your brother. In the Old Testament rule was do not commit adultery. And Jesus in the New Testament says don't even lust. The Old Testament rule was do not swear by God's name. In the New Testament, Jesus said don't swear at all. If the Old Testament required 10%, how could we think of giving anything less than that? I mean, we're living in the grace and the forgiveness of God's mercy. We should have even more appreciation for God because we live on this side of the cross. And that should give us even more appreciation we live after Jesus' death and resurrection. We live in full knowledge of the free gift of God's grace. 
shouldn't we be motivated to give even more? Personally, I think 10%, and I'm saying this is personal. Personally, I think 10% should be the starting point. When we consider how much to give, I think we begin with 10. I don't, I want to be clear on this, I don't know what anybody here in the church gives. I don't know what anybody here in the church gives. I get numbers without names, and that's the way I want it. Once a year, I do ask for details about how many people are giving and how many people are giving within certain monetary levels. But I don't know names. And I also don't know your situation. I don't know your income. I don't know your bills or your budget. I don't know what you might be giving to the Lord through other ministries. So I stand here with no judgment. I don't have any judgment whatsoever. All I can do is encourage you to take an honest look and ask an honest question. Are you holding out on God? Are you holding out because you're holding back? The Bible talks about giving God your first fruits. Back then, people lived in an agrarian society. And harvest was a very important and celebrated moment. It was when the people reaped what they had sown. And God called them to give their first yield, their first fruits. To give that from their harvest to him as an offering. This showed their obedience and their reverence for God. This showed their gratitude to God. And it showed that they trusted God to provide. The Hebrew word for first fruits, you'd never guess. The Hebrew word for first fruit literally means a promise to come. Isn't that interesting? You give your first fruits, it's as if you're saying, I'm waiting for a promise, God. For us today, our first fruit means that we give first to God. Giving to him is our top priority. That means, tactically, that means that when you do your budget, your first expense on your budget is a giving to God. It means that we give the first and we give the best to God. It means we sacrifice a little and we trust that God will provide. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with over with new wine. When God spoke through Malachi, he gave them the same promise. He told them that if they stopped holding out and gave God the whole tithe, he would open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out his blessings. He said he would keep the pests from eating their crops and he would keep the fruit healthy until it was ripe and ready. Once again, look at Malachi 3, 10 and 11. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I believe that when we give to God in this way, he takes, he takes care of us with this promise. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
for God loves a cheerful giver, and God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God calls us to give and to give without any reluctancy in our hearts, to give with joyful generosity, to be glad when you give. In Mark 12, Jesus and his disciples are sitting across from where the offerings were being collected. They watched as the wealthy gave, and then they watched as a poor widow came and gave two small copper coins. In Mark 12, verse 43 through 44, it says, Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than any of the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything all she had. God calls us to give generously, to give even when it stretches us. God calls us to give even when it's hard, even when it's risky. So let's give with eternity in mind. In Matthew 6, just prior to Jesus saying that we cannot serve both God and money, Jesus said this, Mark 6, verse 19 and 20, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What's the best use of your money? Is it best used on things that are temporary or is it best used on things that are eternal? The answer is obvious. There's a story about a sailor who was shipwrecked on an island and he was seized by the natives. They carried him high to the throne. They, nom- they, they, they brought him up and said, you're king. He learned that according to their custom, though, the king only ruled for a year. And he was okay with that, thought it was a good idea. But then he learned about what happens after the king's year-long reign. The king gets exiled to an island all by themselves meant there to starve to death, left there to starve to death. So knowing he was king only for the year, the sailor began issuing orders. Carpenters were to make boats. Farmers were to go ahead and plant crops on the island. Builders were to erect a home. So when his reign finished and he was exiled to the island, guess what was on the island? Crops, boats, a home, because he had sent everything ahead during his reign to prepare for that. He was exiled not to a barren island, but to a land of abundance. When we give to the work of the Lord, we are building up eternity. And that's the best investment we could ever make. Once again, take that honest look and ask that honest question. Are you holding back on God or are you giving your first fruits, giving with joy in your hearts? Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.